Let me get right to the preaching. I got a, a full message, but I'm going to try to be as succinct and brief as we can be. Don't, don't believe that one. I just lied. But anyhow, uh, Daniel chapter 1 tonight. I'm going to let you remain seated. We're going to read the first eight verses here. Allow me to read the scripture. I'll have you read that famous text verse, although it's, uh, we have several verses we want to look at this, this evening here. We're going to look at the life of Daniel, this great man of God, this great seer, this great Wise man, uh, Hakim, or uh, Hakim is the name in the Jewish language. He was a wise man, a seer. In fact, uh, Jews do not count, um, Daniel's found in the writings, not in the prophets, because they don't count him as a prophet. They count him as a seer or a visionary or a wise man. And so he's not a, just a technicality. We know him as a prophet and one of the greatest prophets that ever lived, of course. But the Jews consider him to be a seer or, again, or a wise man as he was listed with the wise men. But uh, Daniel chapter 1, verse, verse number, you can remain seated again. And verse number 1, allow me to read the scripture. Follow along carefully as I read here as we look at our text here this evening here. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, that's 605 B.C., by the way, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried unto the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. This is what we call the first Babylonian captivity, first of three deportations, as it's called. And the first group of people to go with uh, from the several hundred mile journey from Israel, Jerusalem proper to Babylon, we're going to find out, of course, it's none other than Daniel and his three friends that we know so well. And the king, verse number three, spake unto Aspenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the, of the children of Israel and of the ch- king's seed and of the princes, children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored. Uh, we might use the words that these, these, these children, these young people, were, uh, they were privileged. They probably came from a higher-class home. Uh, and skillful in all wisdom, and cunning in knowledge, and understanding science, and such as had ability to stand in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the learning in the tongue of the Chaldeans. Verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end of thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. And verse 8, of course, is that famous text verse. Some call it the text verse of the entire book. So let's read it together, and some of you have it committed to memory. Let's read verse 8 together. Ready? But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. May God have blessing in the reading of his word. I want to deal with the subject tonight. Daniel, his entire life, uh, scholars differ, but we almost say all agree that Daniel was taken into captivity in his older teenage years. Some say 18, some say 17. He could have been as young as 15 or 14 or 16. We don't really know. But there's the parameters of where we believe when Daniel and his young friends were taken into captivity. 
about 17, 18 years of age, or thereabouts, 605 B.C. And they, they spend, this book chronicles the, 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 the events of the 70-year Babylonian captivity to the time of uh, four administrations, three, uh, four different kings, rather, Babylonian kings, then the kings of the Medes and the Persians. And Daniel is going to survive all of these kingships. He's going to, lend, he's going to live his whole entire adult life in the land of his captivity. And you know what? We may not understand this or may not realize this, but this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. This, this is not uh, Egypt as a picture of the world. And here Babylon was definitely worldly and pagan and godless and, and everything that Jerusalem was, wasn't or was not meant, never meant to be. It was the city of, the city of uh, peace, the city of the Lord, the city of David, of course, said Jerusalem. And then David and Daniel and rather and his three friends were taken off into captivity into this, uh, this land of their enemies. So I want to deal with the subject of how to live freely in a captive world, in a world of captivity. Let's just go to prayer, Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, the minutes that we have tonight, Lord, when we take this story from 2,600 years ago, this account, I should say, Lord, it's not a myth, it's not a fable, it's true. Lord, there was a man named Daniel and three friends named Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Lord, they really lived and they really conducted affairs for many years of their life. Daniel, Lord, for nearly 100 years, some 95 years, if he was a teenage boy when he went into captivity and he survived through the, the kingship of uh, Cyrus the Mede, the Persian, Lord, that uh, he would have been at least 85, 90 at that time, if not even 95 before he died. You don't record his death, but Lord, you know. He now shines as the brightness of the stars in the firmament forever and ever. He's one of your stars. Lord, he was a captive. Lord, yet he lived free in a captive land. I pray you might bless in our minutes tonight around thy wonderful word we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Daniel one of the greatest seers, in fact, I won't go into, I was, we preached a couple, three weeks ago on Ezekiel 14, though these three men was the title of our message. In fact, it was last Sunday night, now that I think about it. Uh, of course, Noah, Job, Daniel, and Job. Daniel, when that was written, would have been a young 30-something-year-old man when it was said that he was a great, great man of God. But there's Higher criticism, scholarship that denies the Bible is what I'm referring to. There's the higher critics, scholars that deny the writing of Daniel in the, between 605 B.C. and 535 B.C. The reason why they do that is because the prophecies are so spectacular. The, we, our dispensationalism and our tribulational view of uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel comes from this book, chapter 9, of course. And uh, without Daniel, we uh, would have a lot of holes in our Theology and so higher critics have said, no, Daniel never even lived during this time. He lived around the, the, more like 150, 175 BC. And they, they mocked that Daniel lived, but Jesus speaks about Daniel. The prophets spoke about Daniel. Ezekiel spoke about Daniel. There's plenty of ammunition, plenty of evidence. And the Dead Sea Scrolls in 1947, by the way, were discovered. And they are all predate, uh, they're all uh, carbon dating, dates them several hundred years before Christ. And uh, of course, they find the book of Daniel there as well. And Daniel is, uh, was a true prophet, uh, and he lived during this time that the scriptures record, of course. So he was a, a prisoner, yet he was a prince with God and men. He was a captain, yet he was a conqueror. He was a slave to an earthly king, or earthly kings, I should say, but a saint to the king of kings. He lived as a freed man 
in a captive world. And God has called us to live as freed men. If the Son therefore make you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. You know, there have been millions of Christians throughout their life and throughout their, their whole earthly existence that have been enslaved to some nation or some people or some, in bondage, and yet they were free in, on the inside. Millions upon millions down through the centuries of Christians that have been in slavery. And Daniel was in a form of slavery and along with his three friends. And yet, uh, I want you to know they were free indeed. And I want to give you a six, I have seven points actually from chapter one of Daniel. Just seven observations on how to remain free in a land of slavery. Let's begin by looking at verses three and four just quickly here this evening again. And the king spake unto Aspenaz, the master of the eunuchs, or of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed, that's King Jehoiakim, or the, or the lineage of the, the kingly line. These were children of privilege again, young men of privilege, and of, of the princes. He said, I want you to bring the upper class. I want you to bring them from Jerusalem. Don't kill them. Bring them to the land of the Chaldees, our land, Nebuchadnezzar, just Nineveh had been destroyed by the Babylonians just a few years earlier. And now the Assyrians are no more and the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar rules the roost. And so he says this in verse number four, children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning to knowledge, or in knowledge and understanding science and such as have ability to stand in the king's palace. By the way, let me just insert before we really begin here. It's all right for Christians to acquire knowledge. It's okay. It's all right to have higher education. And so, in fact, we, we're probably lacking some of that. And if you study our American Christian history, the Baptist and the Methodist are two groups that were always on the poor end of things and uh, the, the lower level echelon of, uh, of learning. And there's nothing wrong with learning. God used these men. God used Daniel as great as any prophet in all the Old Testament. And he was a gifted man. He was an educated young man. And he used uh, the most educated man of all the 12 disciples was, would be the Apostle Paul. Saul of Tarsus, and he was educated. So don't, don't run from education or don't think all education is wrong, wrong or wicked. It can be used for the glory of God. And so it goes on to say these words, and such, verse 4, and, and such as had ability to stand in the king's palace and whom, they might, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Notice with me, first of all, number one, my first observation on how to remain free in a land of slavery, be grounded in Christian culture so you won't adopt a pagan culture. Be grounded in the Christian culture so you won't adopt a pagan culture. Now, there are two other contemporaries of Daniel, actually three, Habakkuk as well, but there's two other contemporaries that lived before and a little after Daniel, and I'm referring to Jeremiah, who stayed in the land of of, uh, of Israel and stayed in Jerusalem, went to prison there and was here for 20 plus years after, almost 20 years after David or Daniel was taken into captivity. Another one was, and we talked about him last week, was Ezekiel and he prophesied out of the land and he was by the river Kibar up there and you know, outside the river of Euphrates there in Babylon. One, Ezekiel prophesied outside the land, Jeremiah prophesied within the land and now we have Daniel who prophesies in the king's pal palace. And they were all contemporaries one with another. And yet uh, we learn from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 10, 2, you need not turn there for time's sake, but the, Jeremiah the prophet said, thus saith the Lord, learn not the way of the heathen. 
There's a, we mentioned this morning about heathen cultures and uh, all cultures are not equal. Heathen cultures are not equal to a Christian culture. And all God's people said. Amen. Now I could give you verses, but let me turn to uh, uh, the Leviticus or quote to you some verses out of Leviticus 19. Let me just say, if you'll study the culture of Babylon during this time, later on of the Medes and the Persians, to say they were pagan, and we're going to see it right in our text here in a few minutes here, they were pagan to the core. They were godless to the core. And they had their own culture, and it was not a, a Jehovistic culture. It was not a godly culture. It wasn't an Old Testament culture. It was a pagan culture for sure. And they, they did many things to their bodies, and they had many, as we saw about Solomon this morning, they offered human sacrifices. They pulled out people's hearts, literally, while they were still alive. They did terrible, despicable things to people. And they cut themselves. And they remember Elijah the prophet and the prophets of Baal. And they cut themselves. And they did all kinds of heinous things to their body because they were given over to devils. Leviticus 19, and remember the point is, be grounded. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I believe they were grounded in their I use the word Christian culture. They weren't Christians. They were followers of Jehovah God. They knew the Mosaic law. They were trained as good Jews, of uh, Mosaic Jews. And the Bible says in Leviticus 19, 28, one verse of many that could, I could give, ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead, nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. The Bible says don't make any cuttings. That's what the heathen do. Uh, don't, 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 mark, don't mark your body. Why should we mark our body? Say, well, preacher, that's Old Testament. What about New Testament? Whose body, whose body is this, by the way? It's the Holy Spirit of God. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Not a bone of the Lord's body was broken on the cross. There's reasons for that. The Lord didn't defile his body. His body, I pray God, your whole body, soul, and spirit be preserved blameless under the coming of the Lord. We live in a pagan society and we're adopting paganism in our Christianity and we're just, it's all about in this world that we live in and we're, you know, we're um, young people and old people are cutting themselves and tattooing themselves and defiling their body. You say, preacher, well, that's Old Testament, that Leviticus 19, 28, but 29, listen to what 29 says. Do not prostitute thy daughter. To cause her to be a, I'm using Bible words, horror. Lest land fall into whoredom, and the land become full of wickedness. You know, we teach our kids, and pardon me, I think we're all old enough we can hear these words from a pulpit on, on a Sunday night service. And, uh, but now we give our, we used to give our kids Bibles in public school, now we give them condoms. We used to say that uh, uh, marriage was something that was ordained of God, and we, we used to not, uh, we used to, uh, understand that the sexual union was uh, 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 something that God gave for marriage. The bed's undefiled, Hebrews says. But now it's for anybody. We're adopting the way of the heathen. Young people are taught, well, if you're going to do it, just be safe. Culture, paganism. And we, we adopt familiar spirits. And we, I'm reading uh, from Leviticus 19 and verse 30. Regard not them that have familiar spirits, neither seek after wizards to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. On and on we could go. Read the Old Testament Mosaic Law. These four Hebrew boys, they had adopted a culture. I mentioned uh, last week, I'll just say it in passing, just in, um, I watch a lot of news, as most of you know, and I allude to it oftentimes, but uh, Ben Shapiro. 
Uh, you know, he's on the news. He'll be on tonight. I'll probably see him. He's got an hour-long show on Fox News now. And uh, there he is, that little black beanie on, that yarmulke. Kind of looks silly in my personal opinion. But everybody knows who he is by that identification. And he hasn't lost his culture, even though many of his uh, Jewish counterparts have. Many secular Jews, of course. But these Jews, they did not lose their Christian culture but they went into, even though they went into a pagan culture. And so uh, understand that, listen, even though we live in a pagan world, we don't have to adopt the customs of a pagan world, and all God's people said. Then verses 1 and 2, let me give you a second application here tonight on a principle on how to live freely in a captive world. Not only be grounded in Christian culture so you won't adopt a pagan culture, but number two, and in order to do that, by the way, you need to know the Word of God, you need to know the Bible. But number two, let me give you the point, and then we'll read the verses. Make the best of the lot uh, in, your, in, in life that you are dealt. Or play the best hand, if I can use a card illustration. <laughs> play the best hand you're, de- play the, the hand you're dealt with, play it to the best of your ability. Use the best, in, or make the best of the lot in life that you are dealt. Notice verse one. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and beseeched it. Now, just to the north, uh, just a quick history lesson. Josiah, the king, the last good king of the southern kingdom, he is killed at the Battle of Megiddo in 16, uh, 609 B.C., three years before this event. The, uh, the Battle of Carchemish is a very famous battle. You can Google that and read it for yourself. Uh, of course, it was the Babylonians that took on the uh, Pharaoh Necho, and the Egyptians, and, of course, their, their, uh, their allegiant power, their... Allied power, which was Israel and Josiah. He should have never went into battle in that battle, but he did, and he, Josiah dies in that battle. My point for bringing that up is because this, is, this, BC, this siege that took place, there was a several years previous, at least three years previous, where these young boys, teenage boys, are growing up in this land that's about ready to be it's enveloped by the Babylonian superpower, this pagan power, and they're going to be, they're going to be cut off and they're going to be, eventually, they're going to be destroyed. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed. And these boys are living in this city. And then they're finally taken, the walls are finally broken up and Zedekiah's eyes are poked out. Remember the story, or pardon me, that's 20, 18 years ahead, but, I'm, but uh, Jehoiakim is his name. Um, he's deposed and they put in a puppet king and so forth. And, and, uh, and Jerusalem is the first of three annexes and the boys go off to this land of their captivity. But I want you to know, they're young boys when they're taken into captivity. Uh, when their city is crippled, but, uh, or their city is toppled, but they're not crippled. And they go on to serve the Lord, and they're never going to see their home ever again. Can you imagine having a, a foreign power come in and, and, and destroying your nation, destroying your people, destroying, killing your king, destroying your army, and plundering your cities? And then carrying you off captive, that's exactly what happened to Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And yet I want, to know that, I want you to know that they made the best of the situation that they were dealt with. I would say three things, just to, I want you to know, that, or applications. Thrive where you live. Thrive where you live. Uh, there's some issues with living in Connecticut. I, I, I have to be careful. I say, that, you know, I've, I've bashed Connecticut many times, and I, I'm so disappointed with our politics. I'm so disappointed with our our socialism in a state. And, and I don't expect some of you, especially you that grew up here all your life, especially if you're a young person, uh, you know, I can smell clean, uh, free air when I go to the Indianas of the world. 
I can smell free air. I'm only slightly exaggerating. When I go to some of these red states, we're in, a, we're in a blue state, we're in a socialistic state, and it's so sad, it's so pathetic. But this is where God's called us to live. And I'll tell you, say one thing about Connecticut in deference to Indiana. Connecticut's way more beautiful than Indiana, I'll tell you that right now. And there's a lot of things, a lot of, lot of things, reasons why Connecticut is, look on the bright side of things. We're in a prosperous area. We're in an area that's a beautiful, area with great history. And most of all, we're in an area that's primed for evangelism. We got a mission field right in our own backyard. You don't have to travel across the seas or across the ocean or to another country to find a place of serving God. Here, God picked up, plucked up these three young boys and said, I'm going to put you in a foreign mission field. And I want you to thrive where you, where you live. I want you to do the best. And they did. They became peacemakers to the best of their ability. Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the, king, the children of God. They, they strived, strove to have peace. Romans 12, 18 reminds us, If it be possible, as much as lies in you, live peacefully with all men. So they, they made the best of the lot in life that they were dealt with. Whatever your lot in life is, make the best of it. You might not like your place of work right now. How many like your place of work? How many, don't raise your hand. But how many don't like your place of work? Well, make the best of the place that you work at right now. Try to, you know, jobs are tough to come by, by the way. I tell young people this. And, and uh, make the best of your situation. Change your situations or change your circumstances if you can. But number, number verses 6 and 7, number 3. Let's look at the verses first of all. The Bible says, now among these, among these children in whom there was no blemish in these higher echelon class Jew, Jews there were of, uh, that were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Meshach, and Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince, verse 7, of the eunuchs gave names. For he gave unto Daniel the name Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. Now it's funny, we call... Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, we know them more as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, don't we? But Daniel, his name was changed to Belteshazzar, but we know Daniel's Daniel, not Belteshazzar. Now let me give you the point, and then we'll make the application. Secular identity, how, how do you stay faithful or stay uh, free in a captive world? Secular identity may be forced upon you, you externally, but keep your spiritual identity internally. Now that needs to be defined. You might not understand. Let me say it one more time. Secular identity may be forced on you externally, but keep your spiritual identity internally. Here's the application. You see, in Hebrew, children, boys, boys and girls for that matter, were given names that meant something. Daniel, for example, anybody have a reference about what's Daniel mean? Anybody know? Daniel, know what your name means? Go ahead. God is my judge. Very good. God, my judge. You're absolutely right. You know what your name means. God is my judge. Great name. Hananiah means whom Jehovah hath favored. Mishael means who is comparable to God. Azariah means whom Jehovah helps. All of these four boys' names, they all had, a, we would say, a Christian meaning, a symbolic praiseful meaning. They gave praise to God. When you said their name, those good Hebrews, they knew exactly, oh, Daniel, God is my judge. Hananiah, 
whom God, who Jehovah hath favored, uh, Mishael, who is comparable to God, and Azariah, whom Jehovah helps, and they gave all testimony in reverence to God. They came into this pagan land and they said, oh boys, listen, we can't have those names any longer. You're going to get your name changed for the rest of your life. And so Daniel's changed to Belteshazzar. Belteshazzar, you know what Belteshazzar means? Bell's prince. Bell was their pagan god, their chief god. You're the, you're the prince of Bell, that's who you are. You're Bell's young son, that's who your new name's going to be, Belteshazzar. Hananiah, you're going to be Shadrach. And his name means, Shadrach means the sun, or the sun god. Mishael, you're going to be Meshach. It was a, it was a feminine name, and it was, uh, Meshach was the word for goddess, or for their goddess that they worship Venus, the earth goddess. And so Hananiah, or rather Mishael, you're not no longer going to be comparable to God. You're going to be Venus, comparable to the earth god Venus. And Azariah, no more will you be whom Jehovah helps. You're going to be Abednego. Instead of servant, or rather, whom Jehovah helps, you're going to be the servant of the shining fire. And so we have Hananiah. His name gets changed to the sun god. In reference to the sun god, Mishael, his name gets changed to the earth goddess. And Azariah, Abednego, becomes the servant of the shining fire, the fire god. And for the rest of their lives, they have to go around with these new names that are given to them. They were changed externally, but on the inside, they stayed the same. And I want you to understand that their names were changed, but, but not their character. People can strip you of your identity on the outside, but we are Christians on the inside. God's called us. Now, I'm not suggesting to you, by the way, that we... We, I want you to don't misunderstand. And uh, we not, Romans 1.16 says we're not to be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. We're to be lights of the world. We're to be a city set on a hill. But our faith is not to be obnoxious. Our faith is not to be obstinate with people. If at all possible, live peaceably with all men. They may tell you at work, you're not allowed to talk about, about your religion at work. How many people have a, something that an unstated or stated rule, something to that effect? Keep your religion to yourself. It's just not right. You don't have to keep your ball team to yourself. I mean, you can go into more. Did the Patriots win today? Nobody knows. Nobody cares. Red, 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 red. Well, the Patriots, did they play today? They must play today. Or they don't play today. Oh, you know whether they played or didn't play. I don't know. But anyhow, uh, the point is you can go to work tomorrow and talk about the Patriots or talk about the Red Sox and probably get away with it. That'd be okay, but don't talk about Jesus Christ. And so, uh, keep your religion to yourself. Well, I would suggest to you that these men, for the rest of their earthly lives, they had to be careful and prudent and when wise in their discussions of Jehovah God. They lived in a pagan land. And I'm getting ahead of myself here. Were they compromisers? Well, let's move on. Let's look at verses 8 and 9 for a moment. Notice that, I, never, I don't think I ever noticed this until, and I've, I've had this verse memorized, or at least the first half of it for many, many years. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the, the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. I don't think I've ever noticed this before as I meditated on that verse for a moment. Here's my fourth point, how to live free in a captive world. Be gracious in your stand for God with, with lost. 
Let me say that again. Be gracious in your stand for God with the lost. The Bible says, but Daniel requested. Interesting. He didn't demand. He didn't shout at him. He didn't get obnoxious and say, hey, you, pagan, let me tell you something. I'm a servant of Jehovah God, and I'm not going to eat that filthy, abominable meat that's offered to the kings. No, he came. The Bible says, the soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. I believe that Daniel and these three young friends of his, they came with soft words, with kind words. We have many people, we kind of look at the unsaved lost as our enemies sometimes. We were once, we all had our conversation in times past in the will of our flesh. We all were part of that group one day. And God, who's rich in mercy, reached out and plucked us out of the firebrand and saved our soul. And we, we're just like them. We're just of the same family. There is the brotherhood of man. And, sa- and this, this um, uh, chief of the eunuchs was one of the prince of the eunuchs, verse number eight, was part of jo- Daniel's brotherhood of men. And so he requested them. He, he showed kindness and evidently respect to his master, not disregard or disdain. And by the way, notice what it says in verse number nine. Now God had brought Daniel into favor, and notice this, and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. Daniel was kind to this man, and he cared for this man evidently, and so when he went and he requested of this man that he might not be you know, defile himself with the king's meat, this man listened to him because he was in favor with him, and he was kind to him. By the way, three other times in this, in this book of Daniel, we find that Daniel was... In 9, 22 and 23, 10, 11 and 10, 19, that Daniel was greatly beloved of the Lord. Daniel was a man that made, was, was pleasing to God. And the Bible says, when a man sways, please the Lord to make it even his enemies to be at peace with him. Daniel, he had a conviction and he, he went peaceably. And he requested civilly, kindly. I think there's so much application that could be drawn from this. Uh, one of the key, dirty words in Christianity, of course, and down through the years, we're all about conviction. Compromise is a dirty four-letter or a dirty ten-letter word, whatever it is, compromise. But be reasonable with convictions. Try to work compromise without sinning. Let me give you some specific examples of what I'm talking about. And I, you know, just maybe help you, real practical application I remember many years ago, Sonny and I went to one of our first weddings here in Connecticut, and I was a young, zealous preacher and so forth, and they had, uh, the, I could tell you the family, but it's neither here nor there. They had drinking, they had an open bar at the reception, and they, had, and they really wanted us to be part of this big wedding feast and so forth. They had dancing and all the rest and so forth, and uh, here I am, a young preacher, I think I just started pastoring and maybe 27 years old at the time and there was a couple hundred people and we all stood around and so forth and they went they went they had the champagne and they were all pouring people the toasting glasses and they came to Sonny and I and I knew I, I I've never touched a drop of liquor in my life no 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 thank you and they said oh well we had non-alcoholic and uh I said I said to myself Oh, no, thank you. I, I says, oh, well, no, no, it's a, no, really, it's not alcohol. There's no alcohol at all, and that way you can toast. And I said, no, no thank you. And I, I and, and pardon me, Brother Ray, I said, this is, one, this is under soul liberty. We, we, so we all stood up for the record, 
and all 200 of us, and everybody raised their glass to the, the bride and uh, the groom, of course, and everybody toasted, and there's Sonny and I standing there with no glass in our hand, and we didn't toast. And now maybe you would have done the same thing, but I, all eyes, we were the only two people in the whole room, 200 people that didn't toast. And I felt I was taking a stand for God. But I, I think I probably stuck out like a sore thumb to a lot of people. And I got to thinking, you know, if I would have taken that non-alcoholic version and toasted with that, I might have had an open rapport with some people that I lost because, oh, who's that guy? Now, you do what you want. I mean, we're going into what we call individual soul liberty here. But then the dancing started. And I've been to, I've been to, to uh, and let me just, I'm, I'm getting where we, where we live here just to help you. We're Baptists. We don't dance. Oh, no, dance with your, your spouse. You can dance with your spouse in your bedroom, in your living room, in your house. And you can dance. And I, we got kids here. I'll be careful here. But uh, dancing uh, it can be a prerequisite, a warm-up for some other activities, shall we say. I don't mean to be gross or graphic. But uh, nothing wrong with dancing with a husband and wife. And I would suggest, just for the record, you know, the first dance, uh, hey, I've got, now I'm, I'm digging a hole here, but let me just finish, finish the hole. We've never allowed dancing at our church facility. I've caught a lot of heat from that. I still catch heat from that. We've had a number of weddings that got canceled that we would have had at our church because the people wanted to dance, and I said, no, if I'm doing the wedding, no dancing. And, and that, that puts a kibosh on it. Well, I'll just be blunt with you. There was a wedding yesterday we would have had in our building right here. Yesterday, but it got canceled because of dance. So I deal with this a lot. And you say, well, preacher, we're proud of you. But I've, I've been there a few times, and I just, I, your judge is not another Christian. Your judge is not uh, what somebody else might think of you. Your judge is God Almighty. And I think there are times where, listen, I think Daniel, and let's just be real, I think they were in some compromising situations many times throughout their life. Do you think they were at some banquets where there's some drinking going on? I kind of think so. Do you think there were some there were some places where there was some salty talk that they had no no control over? I kind of think so. I mean, they were in that plain of Dura when the when the idol was raised. Now they 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 had to take a stand. But let me just give you uh, so many more. We could send the whole message right here. And I'm glancing at my watch. I'm only point three, and I got four four, and I got three more quick points. Well, what about Sunday work? I'm a big stickler on Christians ought to be in the Lord's house on Sunday. And I write right about there, I'm not going to do it. I could say, and all God's people said, don't say it. But I think Sunday is, it's a special day for me. I, I don't say that as a preacher, I say that as a Christian. And I don't want to miss the Lord's day. I don't want to miss the services. Uh, your employer says, you've got to work on Sunday. Maybe try to work a compromise. Can I work Sunday, early Sunday morning and come to church and take time out to come to church for a couple hours in the morning or I'll work three hours in the afternoon but I need to come to church I want to come to church Sunday night. Daniel, I think, they requested and they made, they made a tender love and they worked a compromise that wasn't sinning and the rest of the story, you're going to find this out. Choose carefully. I'll give you one last sub-point in regards before we move on. Choose carefully the hills that you are willing to die for. The older I get, I'm not, I don't think I've got beat down and to the point where I just don't have convictions any longer, but I realize that some of my convictions were self-imposed, man-made convictions, and they weren't from God. And I realize that it's very care, I have to be careful 
myself, and if I'm imposing a self-imposed condition on you, I need to tell you that it's a self-imposed condition. It's not from the Bible. And I think there's some things that we succumb to for the good of the organization. And I could talk about leadership roles in our church. You know, if you're going to teach Sunday school at Harvest Baptist Church, I think you ought to try to come to church. Well, don't you think so? I mean, you think that's unreasonable? I think there ought to be some type of dress code. I think just, you know, I mean, Wendy's has dress code. Wendy's has rules. McDonald's even has rules. What about the house of God? I know we're under grace. Pardon me, now I'm getting facetious here, but let me move along. But uh, they, they were gracious in their stand for God uh, with the lost. But number five, let me give you the point. Verse 11, it says this. Then Daniel said to Misha, Melshar, Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs, who, who was the prince of the eunuchs, had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Now there's no, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, there's no easy way to say this. But you need to know that most scholars believe, and I happen to be, I don't call myself a scholar, but I happen to agree with the scholars, that chances are there high, it was a high probability that Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego were made eunuchs. Now, if you're here as an adult and you don't know what a eunuch is, that's okay. I want you, if you're a woman, I want you to ask another woman after the end of the service what a eunuch is, how you become a eunuch. And men, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask a man and we'll tell you. Uh, it's a delicate subject, to say the least. It's horrific if you know the... Uh, and, and I didn't realize until several weeks ago I preached on... I, I got some material on I said it several, several, several times. The Ethiopian eunuch, I didn't know how commonplace it was in the old world. I didn't know how, how much they practiced this vice, this sick, sick, brutal... I mean, torture, really, among other things. And this... Uh, demasculization of, of, of men, anybody that was a threat to the throne. There's high evidence to believe that Daniel became, was made a eunuch for his entire life. Now that leads me to this point here, and we could really launch here and preach a whole message here. How to live freely in a, in a captive world. Accept God's unwanted allowances in the course of your life. Daniel, I love you. Young teenage boy, Meshach, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, I love you, but I'm going to put you through something that's terrible. It's going to change your life forever. You'll never get married. You'll never have children. You'll, you'll, you're going to be laughed at and mocked at for the rest of your earthly life. But I love you. I'm going to allow that to happen in your life. I listened to uh, radio. I remember when I was a boy, uh, Joni Erickson Tata. I think she's around my age, maybe a few years older. Nice-looking teenage girl in her day. I think it was a diving accident. Am I right with that? Uh, I read parts. I never read uh, The Hiding Place all the way, but I, the story of Corey Ten Boom, taken to a World War II Nazi prison camp as a teenage kid. How many millions of kids... Boys and girls, little boys and girls, and teenagers went to prison camp, and many of them never, they went to the furnaces instead of escaped. We had John Bishop here, John Bishop, how many remember John Bishop? <laughs> yeah, I guess I need to tell the story. John Bishop, a fiery, great preacher, great pastor, husband and wife, or husband with a 
wife and children and grandchildren, and he had that debilitating, that disease that struck him instantaneously, and he went from complete, uh, highly educated to well-spoken expositor of the Word of God, a great preacher, a great dad, a great pastor, and all the rest, to complete having to have his diapers changed, lost all his language. He preached from his pulpit, this pulpit here when he was 60 years old, he preached like a five-year-old because he had a brand new five-year-old. And I heard him a few years later, and he's advanced tremendously, of course, and so forth. But God allowed all those things to come into Corey Ten Boom's life, Johnny Erickson Tata. And then you think of Daniel and the audiences that he had through this book, through the administration, said he, and he never would have had those audiences had he not succumbed to the torturous allowance of the will of God in his life. It made all the difference, and he's great today, and we name our boys Daniel today. We don't name him Belteshazzar. Or we know him because he was a man of God. And he was not only a man of God, but no doubt he was a man's man. But something terrible happened in his life. And I don't understand many times like God allows terrible things in our life, but he, he allows them to make us bitter, not make us better. Take your lemon in your life and make a lemonade out of it, somebody said, of course. Take your, your the the the... the tough things in your life and say, I'm going to turn those around and I'm going to use them for the glory of God. There is a reason why these boys went through what they went through. Now, verses 11 to 20, I wanted to be done four minutes ago, so let me just paraphrase real quickly. Verses, verse 12, prove thy servants, I beseech ye, 10 days. You know the story. Most of you know the story. Daniel said, don't feed us for the king's meat anymore. Feed us with pulse. We're going on a vegetable diet. And after 10 days, see what our countenance looks like. See how, how strong we are, healthy we are. And notice verse number 20, for sake of time. I think it's verse 20. Yeah, verse 20. After 10 days, the Bible says, uh, and in all manner of wisdom, God bless these boys, by the way, with all manner of wisdom and understanding that the, that the king inquired of them, he informed them 10 times better than all the magicians and astrologers that were in all his realm. Notice, sixthly, the sixth point, Daniel said, I'm going to put my faith and trust in God to provide and to sustain me and to take care of me. I'm not going to provide, take my sustenance, my, my help and my meat, literally speaking, from the king, the earthly king. I'm going to take it from God. I'll let God strengthen me. So trust the Lord to supernaturally take care of you and bless you. Trust the Lord. Uh, I think there's, uh, and I have to be a little careful here, but there are certain, certain jobs, and I've seen Christians that have taken, have made moves, and they've taken certain jobs because of the paycheck that's involved. And I've said this uh, 8,700 times, it seems like. I mean, uh, you know, if you can make $10 someplace and $20 another place, go to the place that makes $20. Pardon me, don't be dumb. You know, if, you, if you, all things being equal. I mean, take the better job if you can, if it's not compromising. Now, if you've got to compromise or sell your soul out, don't do it. God is able to take care of you. There are many verses that teach us this truth. First Samuel 5.30, the Bible says, honor, I will honor them that honor me. Second Corinthians 9, verse 8, to the charitable giver and charitable church that gives to missions. For God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that having all sufficiency and all things may abound but I'm not bonded to all things and have God's able to supply all our need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
Trust in the Lord to supernaturally take care of you. And that's what these boys did in this pagan land. And God did take care of them. Made them ten times better than all the other wise men of the, of the land. Then the last point, verse 21. Our last of seventh, seven points of application on how to live freely in a captive world. Notice what it says. And Daniel continued even unto the first year of King Cyrus. Now that's interesting because the chapter starts off at the beginning of the 70-year Babylonian captivity. Cyrus comes at the end, 70 years. And so let's say Daniel was 17 when he went into captivity. This would put him at 87 years of age. What I'm saying, for 70 years, his whole life, he lived in the land of captivity. His whole entire life, earthly uh, adult life. And I want you to know that he, and if we go through the chapters and we're out of time, Here's the point, how to live freely in a captive world, and that is to continue to walk consistently and faithfully throughout an earthly lifetime. We looked at Samuel. He started off right, a Nazarite, the strongest man, but he became a weak man. Two weeks ago we looked at him, or last week rather. Then this morning we looked at Solomon, the wisest fool in all the world, the wisest man in the world who became a fool. They started right, but they ended wrong. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want to hear that uh, I finished my course with joy. Now, we need to do that. In order to do that, we need to start off right in our, our young age, our middle age. We need to continue on, but we need to not default in our, and be cast away in our old age. Daniel stayed faithful, and that's why in the prophetic re- writings, if you will, back to Ezekiel 14, where we were at last Sunday, God knew, he says, these three men are exemplary in their Christianity and their faith towards me. Noah, Job, and Daniel. No matter what I put them through, they're going to stay faithful to me. They lived freely, and Daniel becomes the president, of the chief president of the three, of the, over the 120 satyrs or other 120 presidents later on in chapter 5. Daniel gets to see visions that none of us we're still just amazed with uh, 2,500 years later, we have Daniel's prophecies to give us vision of the future because Daniel walked with God. How to live freely in a pagan, captive world. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word tonight. Lord, Daniel, he was more than a conqueror. He was a victor. He was a man that... Lord was lived in the land of captivity, but he lived as a freed man his whole life because he was empowered by your spirit and he lived for you, dear God. And he, he knew when to compromise without sinning and how to compromise without sinning. In order to learn to dwell, at, at, if all possible, peacefully with many different men of pagan origins. Lord, we're living in a pagan land. Lord, help us to dwell if possible peacefully with our, our neighbors and our relatives and our friends. And Lord, may we nurture them and may we fall in uh, tender love and care with our friends that are not saved, as Daniel with the, the prince of the eunuchs did. Lord, we'll thank you for it. Lord, have your will and way in our hearts and lives this night. Lord, bless in the moments of invitation. I do pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing a couple of verses of page number. Do you have a page number there for us? One hundred.